I don't know if you realize how rare it is for a church to have a youth choir and how rare it is to have 56 people singing at the youth choir. So I salute our young people. And I salute uh, our esteemed choir leader, Brother Adam. Uh, tonight, I want to begin a series of messages from 2 Peter under the theme, Godly Living in the Last Days. Now, perhaps that raises a question in your mind. <clears throat> perhaps you're thinking, Pastor, do you think Jesus is coming soon? Well, I certainly hope so. I would be delighted if Jesus comes before I finish this sermon. I don't know that. So you say, well, why do you call this series of messages from 2 Peter godly living in the last days? Because we are in the last days. You say, what's your authority for that? The Bible. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so we learn from the writer of Hebrews that we're in the last days. The last days is that period of time between the first advent and the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know how close we are to the very last of the last days, but we do know that we are in the last days. And this second letter by the apostle Peter tells us how to live a godly, Christ-honoring life in these last days. Now, in this letter, just three chapters, Peter addresses, among other things, how to grow as a Christian, the deity of Christ, the inspiration of the Bible, the danger of false teachings and false teachers, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the new heavens, and the new earth. There is some rich truths for us in this brief letter that we know as Second Peter. And by God's grace, I will be studying and preaching through this on eight Sunday evenings. We'll go Sunday by Sunday. We will skip the first Sunday night in September for our annual gospel sing. And we will skip the last Sunday night in September for our International Missions Festival. Our keynote speaker that day will be Adam Greenway, who is the president of my alma mater, the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. But tonight, let's find 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, as we think about supernatural power for godly living. Supernatural power for godly living. Do you have any superheroes? I know they're out there. I don't know what the current superheroes are, but when I was a child, the superheroes were Superman, Batman and Robin, 
Spider-Man and Wonder Woman. And my favorite was Superman. Superman was faster than a speeding bullet. He was more powerful than a locomotive. And he was able to leap tall buildings in a single bounce. He was Superman. And maybe you would like to be a Superman. Well, it's not going to happen. At least not as Wonder Woman or Superman or Batman were super, had superpowers. But if you are a Christian, if you have been saved, if you have been born again, then you have supernatural power for godly living. And so we begin our journey through Peter's second letter tonight with chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. With our Bibles open to that portion of God's Word, would you give attention to the reading of Holy Scripture? Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now the heart and soul of the message tonight is found in verses three and four, but all scripture is God breathed and all scripture is useful. So we must not just skip over the first two verses, which introduce to us uh, the message of this uh, letter uh, that we are considering uh, tonight. So think with me first of all about the introduction in verses one and two. In the first part of verse one, I want you to see with me two names. One person, but two names. And the names are Simon and Peter. It's a double name, Simon, Peter. Uh, in the South, it's common uh, for people to name their children with double names like Jim Bob or Betty Sue, or some other double name. And uh, this man uh, who wrote this letter had a double name, Simon Peter. Now, Simon was given his name by his parents at birth. And he was given the name Peter by the Lord Jesus Christ uh, at Caesarea Philippi. Uh, there, Jesus was with uh, his followers. Uh, he was with uh, his disciples. And he said to them, who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say uh, uh, Elijah, and some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he confessed Jesus as the God-man. And on that occasion, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new name. Your name is Peter. And it means rock. 
Now, the name Simon means shifty or unstable, but the name Peter means rock. And uh, if you know the story of his life, you know that there was a time when he was, uh, he was very unstable when he denied the Lord Jesus Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. But he was restored by Jesus. And he became the great rock, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So two names, Simon Peter, a double name. And then in verse one, we see two titles, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. You may have a translation that says a bond servant or a bond slave. It's a it's the word doulos. It doesn't mean a household servant, but it means a person who is a, a slave to someone else. And Peter identifies himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Jesus was Simon Peter's Lord. Now, if Jesus is your Lord, your default position is always, yes, Lord. If you say no, Lord, then Jesus is not your Lord. In fact, you can't say no, Lord. You can articulate the words N-O, no, L-O-R-D, Lord, I just did. But if you say no to Jesus, he's not your Lord. You have denied him. And so the default position of those of us who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is yes, 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 whatever you have for us, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, the answer is yes. And so he identifies himself as a servant, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And then second, he identifies himself as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as an apostle, Jesus was one of the 12 uh, that, G, that uh, Peter was one of the 12 that Jesus uh, summoned to, to be with him during the three years of his public ministry. You read about that in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus prayed all night. He chose 12 men uh, to be with him that they might uh, uh, learn from him and, and, and extend the, the gospel message. And uh, so he was with Jesus for, th for three years. He had a these apostles, these 12 men had unique authority in the church an authority that's never been replicated again. And in Peter's case, the apostle Peter, he was the acknowledged leader of the church, the, the uh, mother church of all churches in the city of Jerusalem. And he is the one who preached that powerful message on the day of Pentecost in which 3000 were saved. And so we have two names, Simon Peter, we have two titles, servant and apostle. And then we have in verse one, one common faith, one common faith. Look in verse one, Simon Peter and a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of our God and savior, Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Now, we don't know who the recipients of this letter were. Uh, perhaps they were the recipients of the, of the first letter of, of Peter. We don't know that. But the implication here in the latter part of verse 1 is that those to whom Peter was writing were primarily 
Gentile believers. And uh, when he says here, your faith is as precious as ours, the ours is a reference to those who are Jewish believers. And so we, we learn here that there is one common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it comes through uh, the, uh, faith in Jesus. Uh, Peter describes it as a faith. This righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ is imputed to all who trust in, in Jesus. And here we learn something about uh, Peter's uh, understanding of who Jesus was when he, when he describes uh, Jesus as both Savior and God. He understood and knew that Jesus was no mere man. He was the God-man. And through the righteousness of Jesus, who always obeyed the will of the Father, he was the perfect sacrifice who could take upon himself on Calvary's cross the righteous and just, just punishment of, against sin that you and I deserve. Jesus died as our substitute, bearing in his body on the cross the judgment of God against sin. And so we see that this, this faith, this precious faith is both for Jews and for Gentiles. The apostle Paul said as much when he wrote to the Galatians, he said, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor, or, nor Greek, or that is Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Now think about the implications of this. If that's true, and it is certainly true because it's taught in the pages of the New Testament, then there's no place in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ for bigotry of any kind. None. No place for racial bigotry, no place for social bigotry, and no place for economic bigotry because we share this common faith. And Peter describes it as precious. It's valuable. And so we see here there are two names, there are two titles, there is one common faith. And then in verse two, two blessings. They are grace and peace. Look again in verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance of the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Savior. As you know, grace is God's favor. It is God's unmerited favor to guilty sinners. It is given to us in conversion. God's grace is given to us in sanctification. That is, once we are born of the Spirit of God and converted, we are being conformed to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the blessing that comes from God. And then the second blessing is peace. Uh, and peace always follows grace. Uh, grace and peace is the greeting that you find in the letters of the Apostle Paul. You find it here in 2 Peter, and grace always precedes peace. And uh, the peace is the peace uh, with God. You, uh, you can't have peace with God until you have a relationship with him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the peace uh, with God, and then there is the peace of God. 
which is our, our experience as the sons and daughters of God. So first grace, then peace. And uh, Peter says to them, grace and peace be yours in abundance. That is in overflowing measure. And how is that possible? He, he answers that question in the latter part of verse two. And he says, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. Grace and peace are God's choice blessings to all who know God. Do you have God's grace? Have you experienced God's peace? Do you have the assurance that you have right standing with the creator, God of this universe who made you and sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ into this world to redeem you from sin? If not, why not? You may have his grace and you may experience his peace if you'll come to him in simple humility, repenting of your sins and putting your trust in the finished atoning work of Jesus on the cross. Now with that by way of introduction, let's plunge into uh, verses three and four here as we think about supernatural power for godly living, supernatural power for godly living. There are two axioms I want you to see with me tonight in these two verses. The first one in verse three, the second one in verse four. Here's the first axiom about how to receive supernatural power for godly living. Here it is. Number one, we receive supernatural power through the knowledge of God. If you want to experience the supernatural power provided for you in the gospel and in Christ, it begins with a knowledge of God. Look in verse three, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's one of the most significant verses to be found in all of Holy Scripture. Let's unpack it. Verse 3, his divine power. The word here is the word dunamis from which we get our word dynamite, but it's not like dynamite. Dynamite is destructive. You uh, set off dynamite, you have a loud bang and things blow apart and then there's all the damage that comes from that power that's been unleashed but the divine power that Peter makes reference to here is like the power of gasoline, which is placed uh, in an automobile of a, so that it might cause an internal combustion engine to take you from point A to point B. It is power under control. It is the same power that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the grave. And Peter says we have his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now life is life as God designed us uh, to live it. Jesus described it this way in John's gospel. 
Uh, he, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It is a joyful life. And then godliness is to be like Christ. It is to live a holy lifestyle. And so the, the, the promise here is we have everything we need in Christ Jesus to experience a full, complete, joyful, abundant, holy, godly life. We have supernatural power and it comes for everything. Look at this again. His divine power has given us everything. There isn't anything outside of everything. Did you get that? There isn't anything outside of everything. Uh, nothing's left out. If you know the Lord, if you've been born of the Spirit of God, you are complete in Christ. If you know the Lord, you lack nothing to be a man of God. You lack nothing to be a woman of God. If, you, if, you, if you've been born of the Spirit of God, you, you lack nothing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, nothing to be a teenager for God, nothing. But how do we experience this life? Verse three tells us, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's how, through knowing God. We, we draw near to God. We seek the Lord. We pursue him. We know him. And, and uh, the knowledge that's referred to here is, is not just an, uh, uh, a factual knowledge of God or an academic knowledge of God. Uh, it's a personal knowledge of God. There is gnosis, which is kind of a factual knowledge, but then there is epigenosis, which is a personal knowledge. It is an intimate knowledge. It is a supra-knowledge. And it comes through personal experience of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing him, trusting him, walking with him. We sang tonight about trust and obey. That, that's what it means. We trust God and we obey him and we, we are increasingly conformed uh, to his likeness through this knowledge of God. It's personal. It's not something you read about just in a book, but you, 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 you read this holy book, the Bible, and you, and, you, and you encounter God in this book. Now, those of you who have been married, you, you can identify with this, and those of you who are not married, someday you will appreciate this, but I hold in my hand here a... Uh, a little sheet of paper that my wife gave me. I asked her for it. So I can open it up. I carried it in my billfold. It's, it's in tatters now. I'm not going to read it to you, but years and years ago, I, I said, uh, write down three ways that I can demonstrate to you my love for you. So she did. And uh, I carried it in my billfold. I don't need to take it out and look at it. It's the first time I've looked at it in a long, long time. Because... I know everything on this paper and more. We've been married almost 49 years. You describe a situation and I can tell you what her reaction will be. And uh, she can tell you what my reaction will be. This is a personal knowledge that goes back almost five decades. And the same thing happens in the Christian life. You are born into the family of God 
by faith, you, you, you become a child of God, and then you, you pursue God. You pursue the knowledge of God, not just factual knowledge about, about the Bible, but you pursue this knowledge of God. J.I. Packer in his uh, classic book, Knowing God, which I've read a couple of times and I commend to your reading, said, the, said these words in that book. What were we made for? And he answers the question, to know God. We should aim, no, excuse me, what aim should we set ourselves for in life? Answer, to know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Answer, the knowledge of God. This is a life eternal that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And what is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else. Packer says, the knowledge of God. He continues, what of all states God ever sees a man in gives him the most pleasure. Answer, the knowledge of himself. And then Packer quotes from Hosea where God says, I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Once you have become aware that the main business that you're here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. You got some problems? Seek God. And as we know God in increasingly deeper and more intimate ways, we experience his supernatural power to live godly lives for his glory. Now, I said to you, there are two axioms in this text. And uh, uh, the first one is we receive supernatural power for godly living through the knowledge of God. The second one found in verse four is we receive supernatural power through the promises of God. Not just the knowledge of God, that's where it begins, but through the promises of God. Look in verse four. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now that's a remarkable phrase there in verse four, very great and precious promises. The Bible is filled with hundreds upon hundreds of promises that are given to the sons and daughters of God. And Peter says they are great. They are great in scope. He also says they are precious. That means they're valuable like a precious gemstone, a ruby or a diamond or an emerald. They're very, very valuable. And so we receive supernatural power through the promises of God. Now, why has God given us these promises? Look again in verse four. These were, these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that See that connecting word there? So that, so that through them, that is through what? Through the, through the promises, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Now, when we see this, this phrase here, participate in the divine nature, that doesn't mean we become God. No. But it means that we have, we have a new nature. We have a, a Jesus nature. 
The Apostle Paul said it this way to the Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So if you're not a Christian, you only have one nature. You have a sinful, disobedient, fleshly nature at enmity against God. But if you are in Christ, you have a new nature. You have two natures. You still have the old nature. And Paul talks about that struggle in Romans chapter 7 between the, the two natures. But we have, we, have, we have a new nature, which is in Christ, and we receive this new nature at new birth. And so these promises are given to us so that we may participate in this divine nature, this new nature, which is ours in Christ. Now, nature determines our appetite. Uh, the appetite of a pig is slop. Uh, the appetite of a dog is to return to his own vomit. You think not. Well, I turn over to chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll get there in a few weeks. Verse 22, the last verse of chapter 2. A dog returns to its vomit. That ought to make an interesting sermon. And uh, so it's the nature of a pig to go to slob. It's the nature of a dog to go to vomit. It's the nature of a sheep to graze green grass. Nature determines behavior. It's the nature of an eagle to soar in the sky. It's the nature of a fish to swim in the sea. Nature determines environment. It's the nature of a squirrel to climb trees. It's the nature of a mole to burrow underground. Nature determines association. It's the nature of sheep to flock together. It's the nature of fish to swim in schools. It's the nature of Christians to gather with their brothers and sisters in Christ on the Lord's day to worship the Lord together. We associate with our faith family. That is our nature. Someone who says, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, but I don't have any time to go to the Lord's house on the Lord's day. I question whether he has a new nature because I'm in the family. I want to be at the reunion every Lord's day. Don't you? I know you do. You're here. People need to hear this or home watching TV. Now watch this. Look at it again, verse 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nation. Now this last phrase, and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This world that we live in is broken. It's been broken since Genesis chapter 3. And we are experiencing the, the consequences of the sin committed by Adam and Eve all the way back at the beginning. And we inherit from Adam an Adamic nature that is a sinful nature. And we live in a broken, corrupted world. Now, God is sovereign. And someday we're going to see this. We get to chapter 3 in 2 Peter. We're going to enter into the new heavens and the new earth. There's a new birth for planet earth. Heaven is here. Some of you get your theology about heaven from reading the funny papers and seeing Frank and Ernest floating on clouds and playing a harp. You better look at the Bible. I'm going to explain it to you in a few weeks. Now, watch this. We have three foes. We have the internal foe, the external foe, and the infernal foe. Every Christian has three foes. 
The internal foe is the old fleshly sinful nature. Uh, the external foe is the world. It's broken and corrupted, and the infernal foe is the devil. So we're, we're, on a, we're on a spiritual battlefield every single day fighting on three fronts, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's why it's so important that we put on the full armor of God, that we don't sally forth in our own strength. So we can live godly lives. We have supernatural power for godly living. And, and one of the, the, the means by which we understand and appropriate this supernatural power to live a godly, holy life is through understanding and, and claiming for ourselves by faith the promises of God. Look at it one more time, verse 4. He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In other words, you don't have to sin. Now, we will sin, and we must repent when we sin. But we don't have to sin if we are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, well, you're at the mercy of the adversary. He, he can manipulate you like a puppet on a string. But if you're in Christ, the adversary doesn't have power over you. We have supernatural power to live godly, holy lives. And one of, the, one of the resources been given to us are these very great and precious promises. There are hundreds of them. I just want to give you five and then we'll be done. And I've just chosen five in the neighborhood. You say, well, the neighborhood I'm not talking about. Uh, Glen Avenue, I'm talking about here near 2 Peter. So find Hebrews 13, that's close. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, we have a promise there about money. Are you anxious about money? You wonder how you're going to pay your bills? Are you, are you fearful, you know, you're not going to be able to meet your obligations? Well, there's a promise on that. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, part of that is you got to be content with what you have and not overextend yourself credit-wise. But God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God will meet all of our needs. I didn't say he's going to meet all of our wants. There's a difference between needs and wants. There's a promise. If you're in Christ, that's a promise for you. Uh, here's a second promise, the promise of wisdom. Look in James, just turn the page, one page, James chapter 1, verse 5. James 1, 5, any of you lacks wisdom? That's all of us. We all lack wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So we have these circumstances that come up in the course of a week or even maybe in the course of a day, many, maybe many times in the course of a day. You know, what is the, the, the wise course to take? Ask God to give you wisdom. I, I can't begin to count the number of times when uh, my phone rang and I picked it up and somebody asked my counsel about a matter and I'm telling I'm just saying Lord James 1 5 James 1 5 James 1 5 claiming that promise 
found in this letter written by James. So money, wisdom, then there's trials. Look in James chapter 1, verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. <laughs> there's a good promise right there, the crown of life. Fiery trials come your way, we persevere and do and, and respond in a way that honors the Lord, then there's this reward that comes. It's promised to us. God promised it to us. If we love him, trust him. And then there's uh, the matter of temptation. Look in James chapter 4, verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7. The devil tempting you. Here's what God's, God said. This is the promise. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's God's promise. Now, sometimes the devil doesn't flee because we don't resist. We don't yield to God. Well, there's a great promise. He's got to run. We resist. And then let me give you one more. Uh, anxiety, 1 Peter 5, 7. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's never any legitimate reason for a child of God to be fearful, anxious, or worried because... We have a Lord and Savior who cares for us and who has told us to cast our anxiety on him and he has promised to take care of us. There are hundreds of promises like this found from Genesis to Revelation. They're there. So we, we come to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's go back there one more time. And I want you to see verse 3. Again, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Uh, some extraordinary Christian that you may know somewhere doesn't have any more of the divine power than you and I have. You have it in Christ. Everything we need to live a godly, holy life, we already have. So we appropriate it by knowing God through his word and drawing near to him. And as we become increasingly intimate with him, we experience his supernatural power to live a godly life. And then we claim these promises that are given to us in scripture. Years ago when I was a college student, I read about the Yates Pool. I don't remember the, all the specifics, but I just, I couldn't document this, but I, I do remember this. It just made a deep impression in my mind when I was an Auburn student. There was a man uh, who lived in West Texas who was in deep financial straits, had trouble paying his bills, and uh, just was about to lose everything he had, but one day, some uh, people who drill for oil and gas asked if they could drill on his property. And he gave them permission. 
and they found oil. At 1,115 1, feet, they struck oil. And immediately, 80 barrels of oil a day came gushing out of this pool, what's called Yates Pool. 30 years later, still producing 125,000 barrels of oil a day. He thought he was destitute. But he was sitting on hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil worth a fortune. And he didn't know it. There's no reason for the sons and daughters of God to live in defeat when we have everything we need for life and godliness. God, our Father, I pray for uh, all of us gathered in this room tonight, this preacher and all of those who sit in these pews, that we would embrace these wonderful truths here found in the early verses of Second Peter, that we have everything we need to live a holy, godly, Christ-like life for our welfare and for the glory of your great name. Now, Lord, I pray for that man or woman, boy or girl in this service tonight who has yet to receive Christ, that this very hour might be the hour of salvation. May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.